Welcome to the Exchange Podcast by EWL. As advisors to some of the most successful families in the country, Craig Emanuel, Tim Wyburn, and I, Ryan Lure, draw upon some of the best minds in the country. We believe that by exchanging ideas, we can deliver better advice and better outcomes for the families we work for. Now, we're inviting you on this journey. In this podcast, we interview some of the country's best investment managers, business advisors, bankers, and founders to share their valuable insights. And our hope is that with better information comes better decisions, helping you to achieve more financially. In this episode of The Exchange, I speak with Matthew O'Mara, who's a partner of Apollo's Insurance Solutions Group. Apollo is one of the world's preeminent private asset managers, overseeing approximately $600 billion in assets. Of that $600 billion, roughly half comes from the firm's own balance sheet. Apollo has established itself as a formidable manager across private equity, private credit, real assets, and hybrid securities. Based on assets under management, it's the number one credit business and has one of the largest annuity businesses globally. Its private equity arm brings an impressive track record delivering for investors. In this episode, Matt and I talk to the challenges in finding diversification within more traditional public markets, shares and bonds, which have grown increasingly concentrated and increasingly correlated. Because of that, we talk to the benefits of finding greater diversification through private assets or alternatives for investors. We also talk to Apollo's approach in how it's democratizing access to this asset class and how it takes a more patient, risk-adjusted approach to investing. I hope you enjoy this episode of The Exchange. I'm really excited today to have a special guest uh, on The Exchange podcast, Matthew O'Mara. Matt is the partner of the Insurance Solutions Group for Apollo Global. Apollo is one of the world's most respected private equity and private credit managers in the world. So Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Ryan. I'm happy to be here. Matt, so why don't we start just to give our listeners a bit of context on you, on the Apollo business. So would you mind sharing a bit of background on your career and also the Apollo business, the Apollo platform, and how it's evolved? Sure. Um, so I, uh, I I grew up in, in the Western US in, in a city called Reno, Nevada, which is like right outside of Lake Tahoe. Um, part of a, a big family, nine kids, uh, right, right smack dab in the middle, uh, grew, grew up swimming, um, uh, went to, went to school and then, and then came out and, and, and sort of, uh, knew that I had an interest in, in financial services. Um, but you know, like a lot of kids coming out of college, didn't really know what that meant. Um, was fortunate enough to, to join a, a small private, uh, small public equity firm. Uh, as a pet public equity firm that was focused on large cap value, um, really thinking about dividends and and dividend strategy and and um, consistency of dividends. Um, worked there for for a, a number of years. Uh, it ended up getting bought out by another company, and I made a transition into uh, leverage loan markets. Uh, so started to work actually for a subsidiary of Macquarie uh, called Four Corners Capital. Was there for about uh, you know, five or six years, thinking about uh, very similar issues. Which, which was, you know, when we when we're thinking about our dividend strategy, we're thinking about 
company's ability to pay cash um, and willingness to pay cash. Um, in the leverage loan strategy, it was more about uh, the ju just the ability to pay cash because they were obligated to, to, to pay it out if they had it. Um, but worked there for about uh, you know, five, five or six years. Uh, ultimately, Macquarie uh, folded that business into a, into a business in um, in Philadelphia, and uh, and that's when I left to join um, at the you know at the time Athene Asset Management. Uh, so uh, so that that's sort of like how I I came up. Um, Apollo uh, Apollo was founded in in 1990, and and as you you pointed out, it's uh, one of the the largest private equity firms in the world. Um, it, it was formed uh, in the distress market coming out of the SNL crisis, and uh, that, that's where it got its start. Uh, had great performance in the early years, um, and great performance uh, often leads to more AUM, and so it, it sort of grew. Um, and it grew through like 2000, uh, mid 2000s, um, you know, so, sort of in a similar way to uh, other PE firms, um, you know, it has its own distinct strategy, but, um, you know, sort of, sort of grew up in, in that time frame. Uh, at the end of the, um, at the end of the financial crisis is sort of where uh, the paths, my path and, and Apollo's path converged. Uh, so Apollo made this investment in, um, in Athene. It was a seed investment. Apollo founded Athene. Um, and sort of at the same time when I when I joined uh, the Athene team, um, the Athene investment was really important uh, for Apollo. It, it really changed the trajectory of you know where pa Apollo was going uh, in some ways that you know didn't seem important at the time, uh, but in ways that like over the last 15 years have really come to um, you know define what Apollo is. Uh, so. You know, a, a couple of those, um, you know, Apollo was a PE firm. It had some uh, leverage lending strict, uh, capabilities in, in 2000, in 2000s. Um, Athene was an insurance company, retirement services. It had a huge demand for investment grade. Um, and so Apollo developed uh, capabilities in investment grade. Um, Athene was, uh, you know, dependent upon income that was coming from, you know, mostly public uh, bonds. Uh, and during the 2010s, during the teens, uh, spreads on public bonds uh, compressed uh, meaningfully. And so, you know, a Apollo had to sort of figure out a way to, to make, make sure that Athene remained profitable. And so we developed expertise in, in private credit. <clears throat> um, and then th third, uh, we, we all of a sudden were investing for our own balance sheet. Athene is, is Apollo and Apollo is Athene. Uh, when we're investing for the insurance company, we're really investing our own capital, uh, and so that started a pathway for us to, you know, start to become like really aligned with our investors because we're putting in dollars like right alongside of theirs. Uh, and and so, you know, so today, um, you know, we're a financial services firm, Apollo, uh, with two key lines of business. There's there's the asset manager, uh, about six hundred billion. Uh, private equity still chugging along, but it's been credit and and Athene that have been the growth engines. Um, credit is now about half of Apollo's uh, AUM, and the other half is uh, equity and and uh, another asset class that we like to call hybrid, which is sort of the midpoint. Uh, and then Athene is uh, a rated retirement service company, number one annuity company in the United States. 
um, combined, we've got 4,000 employees, you know, 600 of which are in that investment professionals. Um, so been, been a long run, um, <clears throat> you know, it's uh, and, 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 a, and a great experience. And a few things you mentioned there, I just want to unpack a little bit and, and certainly appreciate all the context there. But you mentioned, Matt, you started your career in the public equity side, predominantly with large cap value dividend strategies. So you had that focus on the income piece and then moved into leverage loans. Again, still having that continuity of focus on income. And with moving into the Apollo ecosystem via Athene, it's interesting because when we think of, or most investors think of private equity groups, they think of, well, you know, they're the growth guys. They're the guys that are shooting the lights out. They're not focused on income. They're focused on delivering the highest capital return, capital growth possible. And if we reflect on the last kind of 10, 12 years post GFC, we're in an incredibly easy money environment where rates were getting lower and lower as central banks with quantitative easing, cutting rates. And really that didn't start to change until the last 12, 18 months, at least in Australia. I think the Fed, US and Europe was somewhat similar. But it seems like the growth of the business you mentioned has been fueled largely by the credit lending arm as opposed to the more traditional private equity growth. And I think that's interesting because a lot of other groups didn't make that call that perhaps your peers or your competitors, they didn't have that focus on income because frankly, it was pretty challenging to try and get that. So was that luck or how did, you know, what was the strategy back then to, to build, you know, a theme and have that income focus? So I, um, in our core private equity strategy, you know, we, we've sort of just stuck to our knitting of of being like real value add. I sorry, um, of value investors and 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 thinking about you know purchase price matters as as the the central tenet. Um, as it relates to Athene, um, you know, I'm not sure whether whether the um, you know the the founders Jim Bellardi, Mark Rowan had like the the grand plans that that ended up uh, you know coming out of Athene when when we started it up. Uh, I, I tend to think it was sort of a little bit organic um, in that we started with this uh, seed investment in the insurance company. And um, what, what, one of the things that Apollo like lo- loves to do is, is just innovate and solve problems. And, um, and so I think it was uh, really just a lot of you know, micro decisions along the way as we tried to solve problems, as we tried to... Um, you know, make better solutions that led to uh, this explosive growth of, you know, the credit business uh, and the private credit in particular. You know, as I said a, a moment ago, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily that we had a view of, you know, private credit and getting into private credit. What, what we were trying to do is solve a problem for Athene, which was, you know, compressing public uh, <clears throat> public spreads and yields. Uh, and as a result, we got into private credit, and and we've sort of developed that over the last. Um, Ten years. It wasn't. Uh, it was. I, you know, it was, it was planned over time, but I, I don't think it was a, uh, you know, master design to look like what we look like now. Uh, it, it sort of just came a, a about organically. No, I think that's interesting. Actually, um, I was reading something in the financial publication in Australia. It's called the, the AFR Australian Financial Review, and you know, Mark Rowan from Apollo has been quite active with a few thoughts recently around. He's mentioning kind of early in his career, he didn't have 
ETFs. You didn't have high yield investment opportunities in a market for that. All this innovation and new product, new ways to access different investments and achieve better outcomes for clients. And I think that that innovation is an important part of Apollo's culture. And your alternative investments, private equity, private credit, certainly from a wealth perspective side, I mean, from an Australian perspective, our clients, even though they're high net worth individuals, I mean, accessing that market has traditionally been for more institutional pension funds, large corporate domain. And it seems like one of the next problems to solve is around access there, because if you've got private equity fund that has a US one or $5 million minimum, that's pretty restrictive and you can't really get diversification across vintage, diversification across manager, asset class. It feels like we're almost at a turning point now where groups like Apollo are trying to engineer and solve for that. So yeah, be interested to just touch on briefly how you guys are thinking about that. Yeah, I, I mean, we think a lot about the theme of democratization of alternatives. Um, and, you know, it's, it is part a, um, an analysis of wh- where the market is going, but it, it's also plays to our strength, which, which I think is solving problems. And, um, so we are, um, you know, we've spent a lot of time over the last couple of years thinking about, um, the problem that wealth investors have in accessing alternatives. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's clear uh, to us that alternatives are like a, a really valuable addition to portfolios. Um, you know, I made some comments earlier about public market yields collapsing on the credit side, but even on the equity side, you know, there's move, move to indices, um, concentration, like the S&P is now, uh, you know, more concentrated among fewer stocks. Um, you know, there's fewer, fewer listed companies in general, uh, correlations are up. I, it's it's become a really challenging market to get successful results in public markets, um, you know. And of course, very few managers outperform uh, the indices. And so, uh, it seems clear that alternatives is a solution, part of a solution for glo- for wealth investors. Um, it's been a solution for uh, for institutions for for a long time. They they sort of been in on it, and um, and they've been allocating more and more to alternatives. Uh, but as you point out, like there's there's um, structural um, <clears throat> market barriers for for wealth. Um, and it's it's you, you hit you touched on a, a big one, which is uh, minimum ticket sizes. Uh, mm-hmm. That minimum ticket sizes leads to, you know, a, a difficulty in getting diversified. It's often hard to find managers. Um, once you find a manager, like, you know, they, they probably do something that's relatively narrow in scope. Um, and then you have like the issues of dealing with like all, all these K well in the U S all these K ones, um, you're managing cash flow. So you have capital calls and distributions and they're unpredictable. And it's just, it is, uh, it is a headache and it's really, it's really challenging. And so, um, that's what we've been, that's what we've been trying to solve. We, we've spent a lot of time, you know, thinking about it, um, you know, and there's a, a new slate of products that are that is coming out on the market um, that, that is really going to change the way that that wealth accesses um, <clears throat> alternatives and and just I think just the way that the, the wealth market thinks about alternatives in general. Uh, so so we're really excited about that change and we're excited to be part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing you mentioned earlier, Matt, that separate the culture and the alignment of Apollo, perhaps compared to some other peers, is just the extent of that alignment and making investments 
off Apollo's own balance sheet alongside investors. But can you just give maybe our listeners a bit of a, a sense of just how much scale and how much alignment actually exists? Yeah. So Apollo is uh, manages about $600 billion, uh, in AUM, $600 billion US. Um, about half of that is for our own um, balance sheet. Um, and th- like th- that is just really, really powerful. If, if we think about um, the, you know, the investments that we're making, uh, we like to think that you know, 25, at least 25% of everything that we, we underwrite, uh, we're going to own. Um, and we're not going to own 100% of anything. Um, like we, we want to be partners with our our uh, clients and um, and we want to bring them into the things that we're doing. You compare that to other um, other managers, like a typical manager in alternative space, you know, they'll get fees of, you know, one to two percent a year and they'll make a, a contribution into the fund of two to three percent. Uh so really, all they're doing is they're putting at stake like two, two, maybe two years of management fees, um, and uh, and so it's you know when we think about Apollo, we're we're at you know half of of our assets, um, you know in our uh, flagship uh, diversified equity uh, strategy, we we make up about seventy percent of the assets that are invested in it, um, and at that level. Um, you know, no, no amount of fees is going to compensate us for poor performance, right? So if if the you know we're we're not in it for the fees, we're we're in it for you know finding you know great great investments with with outstanding risk return, um, and it 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 just guarantee like you know Mark will say um, the the alignment is not a guarantee of success, um, but it's a guarantee of of shared outcome. Um, so we are really, you know, in, investing alongside of our partners, alongside of our clients, you know, putting our money where our mouth is. And, you know, if 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 it's, uh, you know, if it's not good enough for us to hold on our balance sheet, like it, it shouldn't go into our client accounts. And and so that's been uh, it's been something that, you know, has has really sharpened our investment process, I think, over the time that we've you know been, been involved with, um, you know, ma- managing our balance sheet, you know, from from a theme. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those numbers, 600 billion assets under management, roughly 300 billion of that from your own balance sheet. That's pretty remarkable. And I think, yeah, there's no better testament to when a chef eats their own cooking, so to speak. So, you know, for those that aren't, obviously be aware. But look, we've spoken about scale of the platform a little bit, just to contextualize some of the transactions that Apollo will involve itself with. I don't know if we can talk about specifics, but you know, obviously you have a credit arm, you have the private equity arm, you invest in real assets as well. Are there any highlights across your career or just standouts across the Apollo platform? Just to kind of highlight what you guys do, how you think, what were some of the, the highlights of your career so far? Yeah. So um, the particular strategy that I'm involved with is, is the diversified perpetual equity product. Um, and there, um, you know, we are focused on investing in opportunities that have uh, very consistent, uh, very predictable cash flows and, and downside protection. Uh, and so, you know, one of the transactions uh, that I, I've been a part of, and this sort of ties into, um, you know, the, the theme of, of Athene, is an investment in a, a company called Midcap Financial, which is a uh, middle market specialty finance 
um, firm in the U.S. Um, we uh, invest that you know we invested in that in that in that um, opportunity in 2013, uh, and that was really the the one of the first major forays into into private credit. Um, when we think about what midcap is, it's it's um, you know this pool of originated assets uh, that gets you know a few hundred basis points uh, of extra spread versus you know public uh, equivalents. Uh, it has because it's been um, you know sort of private uh, credit. It's had the ability to uh, to 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 man- manage its underwriting and manage the documentation and terms in ways that um, you know really help it to uh, accentuate its its risk management. And so you know that that was like the the first you know step you know in in, in my career of of dealing with pr- private credit and. Um, and it's been a, you know, it's been a, it's been a great success, and it's indicative of the types of things that, um, you know, that we're looking for. It's an interesting opportunity because something you touched on there is not just the growth and obviously the return, but I think it's particularly the case when almost fifty percent of all assets under management belong to the firm's balance sheet. That there's just as much, if not more, focus on the risk element as there is the opportunity. So risk-adjusted returns, looking for how do we get Kind of that margin of safety. How do we get more consistent return, as opposed to try and shoot the lights out, irrespective of the risk, because it's not our capital. And I think that sounds like that's a key differentiator, just in investment philosophy and and Apollo culture. I, I, absolutely. So you know, risk management is is you know really number one. Uh, you know, we're we're looking to make sure that we are you know protecting our downside. Um, and, um, you know, we, sometimes we say that like Apollo has one strategy. It's one strategy that's applied to many different asset classes, but that strategy is purchase price matters. And what, what that means is that, you know, when we're looking at investments, um, you know, we're not trying to chase trends. We're not trying to, you know, get ahead of where, where the, the hot new thing is. Uh, we're really looking at each investment. We're trying to get a sense for you know what is the fundamental value, um, and and that that has really like you know, that has really paid you know dividends over the last you know eighteen months. There's certainly been times where it's been challenging, um, you know, particularly the, the the second part of last uh, the last decade where equity markets have have gone crazy. Um, but as as things start to uh, normalize, um, that purchase price matter strategy is really uh, shining, um, and that forms you know a lot of the basis of of um, you know at least the beginning of the risk management process. That makes sense. I think you spoke about correlation or concentration within various indexes. For instance, I think I might get this this statistic you know one or two percent off, but roughly the top ten constituents in the S and P five hundred now represent over thirty five percent, and also something along the lines of eighty percent of all volume that's traded, which is just crazy. There's a lot of I don't want to say dumb money, but you know, a lot of blind money through index solutions and things like that, which they do certainly have a place for some investors and throughout the cycle. But if you're trying to get diversification as an investor, I mean, options like that, that sort of level of concentration, I mean, does start to present a risk. And even what surprises me, I mean, we've been beneficiaries in the, the public market side of the rally that we've had this year, but in aggregate, earnings are still down. So 
if prices keep going up, earnings are going down. I mean, the valuation multiple and the price you're paying isn't particularly great. But I guess when you're looking at unlisted assets, private assets, obviously an information advantage that you know groups like Apollo have by digging through the weeds and uncovering the information, unlike the, the same level of concentration and transparency as in listed markets. So I guess on the just the information side, what advantage does Apollo have on the private market side that perhaps investors wouldn't get in listed markets? Yeah. So, so before I answer that, you, you know, you mentioned diversification, um, and certainly uh, private equities are are a way to get diversified from from public equities. But there, in in alternatives, there's so many other ways to to get diversified. Um, you know, there's so many other asset classes. Whether it's uh, it could be private equity, but you've also got real assets, infrastructure, uh, various forms of royalties. Um, so you know, th- there's there's a whole other dimension of uh, of diversification that that you can get in in alternatives and and, and private markets that uh, you know can can really benefit um, you know wealth investors as as we um, you know enter this new um, new slash old uh, normal. Um, so uh, yeah, from from an information perspective, um, I guess I guess what um, what I would say, you know, from, from from the Apollo side is, fifteen years ago we were, um, you know, a, a couple a couple of, uh, of things have happened. Um, one is we we, had, we now have six hundred investment professionals, each of which have you know their own relationships and and are um, you know sort of out you know originating deals and, and finding deals. Um, the other thing is, 15 years ago, when we were, you know, sort of straight PE, uh, other financial services firms viewed us as a competitor. And um, now that we have, uh, you know, uh, half half or more of our assets in credit, we we have now become a partner or a solutions provider to uh, both, you know, financial sponsors and to corporates. And um, and so we. Um, you know, we we are a, a lender um, and a partner of choice um, rather than you know viewed as a competitor in in many situations, and so that has like that has really widened uh, you know the aperture of of the deals that we're seeing in our you know sort of day to day origination. Um, but I mean, I, I guess I would say like is worth as we think about um, public versus private. You know, in, information. Uh, and sourcing is is certainly a big part of like our advantage, uh, but but the other thing that we like to think about in in private markets, and the other reason why we think that private markets can offer really interesting um, outcomes, is that if if you're investing in public markets, everything is um, everything is relatively homogenous in terms of uh, structure and product, right? So you have an equity; it's it's an equity in a company, or it's you know, a, a bond, um, but you really have one decision and it's like, do I want to buy it or not? Um, when we go into private markets, uh, that changes, Ch- changes pretty dramatically. So in, in private markets, as we're, you know, working with our counterparties, um, you know, this t- ties back to being a solutions provider. We can work with, with um, you know, people who are looking for capital, whether it's equity capital, debt capital, or something in between, um, and really work with them to find solutions to their problems, um, solutions that maybe aren't uh, available in in traditional, you know, b- bonds or equity. 
Um, and because we're solving their problems, they're willing to pay us extra for it. Uh, so we can get you know additional return uh, on these types of assets, uh, on these private assets. At the same time, because we're controlling the documentation, we're controlling the structure, we can pinpoint the, our particular risks and try to structure around our risks, try to add terms around the things that we think are, are most important. Um, and so we get to this win-win in private markets where you know, we get paid more, we get you know, more downside protection, and our, our clients are thrilled because they, you know, it, we, we help them solve their problems and they get what they need. And, um, and so that, that, in my mind, has been like one of the, the great advantages of, of private markets uh, and being a, a, a private market uh, uh, investor. We've seen from our little country across the force, so obviously in the U.S., you had Silicon Valley Bank closed up its doors. Uh, regional banks look like they have some significant exposure to office assets and some property. And I think in general, whether it's the US, even in Australia, your big banks are becoming increasingly vanilla. They're pulling back from a lot of types of lending and activity that they were previously engaged in. For groups like yours, you mentioned outside of that information advantage, being flexible with structure to support the companies that you work with. I mean, are non-bank providers, groups like Apollo, able to take advantage on that shift or that pullback of traditional banks and lenders? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In, in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, so I would say, you know, in when, when people normally think about private credit, they think about the leverage lending. So that's like lending to private equity companies, private equity sponsors in support of their buyouts. Um, you know, that that is a a bit of a crowded space. Um, so we, we are probably getting less benefit there. Um, although, you know, the departure of or the exit of Silicon Valley Bank and others has, has created some um, some benefit. Where we're finding um, more opportunity is, is really in the investment grade space, uh, where we've sort of been in the private credit uh, arena for, you know, a decade or more. And, um, and, and other firms are just starting to catch up. Um, you know, certainly, um, you know, the banks exiting that space uh, has been, you know, a huge boon, and there's just not as much uh, expertise or as, as much capital chasing it. Um, you know, the other place that we have, you know, found that that, that is really coming to our benefit is ju is just in in the equity space. So, you know, our, our businesses that are are focused on competing with banks have all, um, you know, sort of seen a competitive advantage. So, you know, folks like Midcap, who I was talking about earlier, um, you know, their their market backdrop has 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 strengthened. Um, you know, we we entered uh, we entered into a transaction at the end of last year where we bought um, the structured products group from Credit Suisse. Um, you know, sort of as they were going through their their issues. Um, so that has been like a, a great origination. Uh, source of origination for us. So the you know the the pullback of banks uh, has had like you know a lot of impacts for us. Um, you know some small, some big, but but it has really been a, a you know a, a big change in the market and and one that we think that we're going to be able to take advantage of for you know for for quite some time. In terms of thinking about macro outlook, some of these big shifts, I think it's it's easy as an investor to think, well, hey, well. Another year or so, you know, we'll get back to a low rate environment. Equities will have their rally. Bonds will fix income. Traditional fixed income might rally and undo some of the downs of challenges of last year. But I guess 
In terms of Apollo's investment committee and you know your outlook on some of these big shifts, what's kind of your view? I guess taking that risk-adjusted focus. I mean, where do you see the most opportunity? You've pushed into private credit lending, you know, more over the last decade. But you know, what is the next five, ten years? look in, in in the Apollo lens. Yeah, look, I think right I think right now it's it's private credit, private credit, private credit. It's um, you know, we're getting, you know, level levels of safety um that you know we haven't seen in, in a while. From my perspective, we'll we'll continue to rotate into um private credit and that will be, you know, that will be a focus. Um and and again, like the way that we think about private credit is is really broad based. It's it's not just sub investment grade, but it's it's uh, you know it's it's across the entire spectrum. It's it's any anywhere that we can you know sort of directly interact with with creditors and um, you know negotiate bespoke terms at at you know attractive spreads. It's that that is you know sort of the place to be. Um, so some of the places that we're rotating out of um, or or we're cautious about you know obviously real estate we're we're very cautious. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's been a story about, you know, private credit. I think, I think it will be, will continue to be for, for quite some time. For our listeners and some of our clients, there can be this misconception sometimes that private credit can be a new asset class for a lot of people, particularly outside of the Insto space, that somehow private lending, private credit is high risk. But can you just explain you touched on the spectrum of lending I and mean, you have investment grade, you have sub-investment grade, you've got, you know, a large scale. And I guess if you're playing, well, I shouldn't say playing, but if you're investing more so in the, the investment grade space, I imagine scale matters and size of your platform capability, that structuring ability really matters as well as your relationships. So can you just talk to just that scale and how maybe Apollo's platform offers some differentiation? Yeah. Um, look, scale, scale, particularly in, in IG space, um, is, is important. Um, but, but really across, across a lot of different credits. So if we're out, you know, talking to a corporate borrower in, in the IG space, um, then they're, they're probably not looking for a loan and on the order of, you know, 50 or a hundred million dollars. Uh, you know, they're probably looking for a loan that's on the order of, or a financing solution that's on the order of, you know, five hundred to three or four billion dollars. Uh, so, so scale certainly matters uh, in that construct. Um, uh, you know, obviously, like you know, finding solutions, being solutions oriented. Um, you know, having a big team. We have six hundred investment professionals. So, having all of that expertise that we can react quickly. That we, you know, sort of know industries. We know borrowers. We can, um, you know move to help them and and find solutions you know quickly that that's a big part of it um the other part is um is that you know we we there, there's a, a lot of different facets to private credit um you know some of it is just lending um one of the things that we do though is we own a bunch of private credit originators um sometimes we call them private direct investments um sometimes we call them asset originators um, these are companies, you know, similar to Midcap, um, but you know, we have we have others. There's a, a company called Wheels. It's a, a fleet leasing lent, uh, fleet, fleet leasing business. So it it you know buys autos and and leases them to investment grade counterparties. 
Um, there's, um, uh, you know, other types of, uh, of these businesses that we own and scale there is also important because, um, you know, each of those loans are, are, are very small, um, you know, granular. And, and so having scale to, um, you sort of understand the, the full spectrum, but also to, um, make sure that we're not getting, um, you know, eaten alive by, by servicing costs and origination costs, uh, spreading that over out over our, you know, lar- large organizations and um, you know lots of volume is 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 also helpful in terms of the lending side. I mean, given the scale, would potential borrower come to you and only you because you can write the full check, or are you typically participating in syndicated deals, or what's most common across the portfolio, and what's your preference? Yeah, our, our um, it's like the the preference is to move as close to bilateral transaction as possible. Um, and that that is really where our focus is, and that's really where we're starting to get, um, or we, we've worked to get the most amount of uh, of flow. And um, and you know the, the more that we are in the market, the more that we are viewed as partners rather than competitors, the more that we are uh, solutions providers versus um, uh, just providers of of capital. Um, the, the more we get proactive calls, the more we get, you know, develop really powerful relationships with people that, that come back to us again and again. Uh, and it's really a, a virtuous cycle um, that has that really has hit its stride, you know, within our origination businesses. This is probably a broad question. So <laughs> bear with me, do, do your best. But um, reflecting on the last several years, there's been some, you know, real big events, tension-grabbing headlines. I mean, the first was obviously COVID. We all went into lockdown, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But I think on the financial side, the LDI crisis in the UK, we mentioned collapse of Silicon Valley banks and other regional banks, Credit Suisse, US credit rating recently downgraded following the, the debt ceiling again being raised. And then we also touched on big property investors basically handing their keys back to banks because of obviously various issues over there and vacancies. and But, I mean, these big dislocations, do they create opportunities for, for groups like Apollo? I mean, having that history largely in the distress space, you mentioned you bought out the structured products business from Credit Suisse, so clearly there are some opportunities that you can act quickly on. What do these big events mean and what opportunities can they create? For a business like yours, yeah, the, the, those are the t- periods where we're the, the busiest because we, um, you know, we are able to quickly react um, to complex situations, uh, and we're not afraid to, you know, invest where we have conviction. And so, you know, each of those things that you're uh, that you're referencing, you know, we we were extremely busy in in, in finding solutions for 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 folks and. Um, and so, you know, LDI, um, uh, you know, huge amount of volume that we were able to buy for the for the insurance company uh, and for our other clients, um, you know, in in levels of investment grade, you know, sort of triple A, double A paper that, you know, we, we've never seen the spreads as wide as they were. Um, uh, COVID, you know, pr- providing emergency financing for um, you know, for businesses, you know, across the, the ecosystem, um, you know, Silicon Valley bank and the, the bank collapses, like we, we, we went in and, and, um, you know, we did, we weren't as, as successful in, in, 
partnering with with banks because uh, you know there's a huge amount of liquidity, but but we were involved in 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 those dis- discussions and they um, you know, have the ability to to generate you know massive. Uh, opportunities, and so you know, we are we are right in the in those conversations. You know, at, at sort of every turn, um, and it's uh, it, it's you know, it, again, it, it comes down to uh, you know, what is your reputation in the market, and you know, our reputation is that you know, we are not afraid of complex situations, and we are going to solve problems, and um, and so we we get the, those calls, and we're we're involved in those processes, and and um, and from there, it's just a matter of. You know, sticking to our knitting, making sure that we're, you know, we're you know, focused on purchase price, uh, focused on risk return, and um, and then you know, the rest works itself out. There's talk around this wall of refinancing that inevitably needs to happen over the next six, twelve, eighteen, twenty-four months. Companies that had various debt or debts that need to be refinancing that are coming up to maturity. And obviously, the terms, the cash rates change in the states by you know, five hundred basis points plus. In you know, in Australia, it's four hundred. It's just been this huge jump. Uh, and obviously, on the corporate side, it's not like you know, U.S. housing market where you've got thirty-year mortgages. I mean, these are being refinanced a lot more regularly. But I mean, in terms of that that wall of refinancing, I don't have any numbers. I mean, like, what's the scale? I mean, what's kind of the expectation? I don't know if you have any kind of figures around it, but give me a sense of kind of what that looks like. Yeah, look, it's um, I, I don't I don't have numbers around it e- either. Um, but you know there there's you know ma- massive amount of um, of maturities sort of you know across the spectrum, um, you know in the next eighteen thirty six months, uh, and it, it involves uh, you know corporates, uh, it involves asset back asset based financing. Uh, it involves real estate debt. Um, you know, it's it's kind of, kind of across the board, and um, and so uh, you know, floating rate markets have been less impacted because uh, you know they 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 haven't been uh, as as uh, hit by by rates. So a refinancing of a floating rate is is not going to to cause a lot of problems. But even there, you know, spreads have widened. Um, but you know, for for us, um, uh, it, it is really an opportunity again to to solve problems. Um, so you know, if you're a if you're a lender and you're used to you know buying syndicated debt or you're used to buying bonds, uh, it's going to be very hard for you to uh, work your way out of those problems. Um, if you're a lender that you know has spent you know the majority of its time working out complex situations. Uh, then you're going to be, you know, well positioned uh, to not only, you know, help help yourself out of situations that that you know require creative solutions, but but also to you know step in the shoes of of other traditional lenders such as banks or public markets uh, and provide financing. Um, and I think uh, you know for us, it's you know one of the other one of the other very powerful tools is that we have. Uh, you know, a three hundred billion dollar balance sheet that that stands behind us and is and is ready to deploy capital, um, you know, into those solutions. In in addition to the other three hundred billion dollars of client um, of client assets. And so, uh, look, we we're we're standing ready for uh, you know for for interesting times uh, you know uh, ahead. 
people talk about having patient capital. And I think certainly a lot of the big private equity private credit managers that I've come across, the difference is when you don't have that alignment, I mean, 300 billion from your own balance sheet, your business survives on deploying capital. And as you said, charging management fees. So they make their income. Whereas I guess with a huge amount of capital that's being deployed coming from the firm, obviously you don't need to rush out to make those investments. You can wait for periods of big dislocation. Yeah, that, that's right. And, and it goes back to um, you know our com- comments earlier about you know, the last 10 years. And so the last 10 years, um, you know, it was easy to make great profits in, in equity markets. And, um, you know, partly because it's, it's in our nature, but partly also because, you know, we're, we're investing for our own balance sheet. Um, you know, we stuck to our knitting and, and, you know, we really focused on, uh, you know, our, our key tenants of risk, risk adjusted return and purchase price matters. And, and um, and it was challenging at times when you know public markets were really taking off, and so it's it's really that focus on value, the focus on um, uh, you know excess return uh, that that has benefited us certain certainly in the choppy markets over the last couple of years, uh, but but also we think will benefit us um, uh, in in the future, and and part of that is because you know we've got this big balance sheet, we've got this alignment, and it, and it allows us to have. Uh, you know, patience where, where where it doesn't allow us, it kind of forces us to have patience. Um, you know, where where others are are forced to 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 deploy. You touched on um, so obviously in 2022, negative market for almost most, if not all, major equity indexes, indices, and then fixed income equally was one of the worst years, if not the worst year on record, depending on which market you're talking about. Private assets alternatives were one of the few bright spots, but one of the questions we often ask between various managers is, is that because the assets, the underlying assets are actually performing, or is that because assets aren't being marked to market? And valuation policy is obviously a you know, really important point to us, and not all managers have, have an answer, and some, at least in an Australian environment, are having to adapt now because of large pension funds and superannuation funds that are um, forcing them to do so. But yeah, it might be worth for our listeners just touching on Apollo's valuation policy and any source of independence rather than just internally marking it. Yeah, so I mean, I guess I guess I, I would I would sort of just point to you know both both things, right? Which is um, you know there, there are probably some bad actors with with poor. Well, I shouldn't say bad actors. There, there's just for firms with with you know less uh, robust valuation processes, but but also. Um, you know, I think what what ha- what has happened is, you know, what what we have you know, sort of been banging the drum about, which is the, the power of alternatives in, in private markets. Um, as it relates to our particular valuation, um, you know, we're we're a public company. These assets are all held on our our, our public um, balance sheet. Um, and so there, there is a, a level of scrutiny that that has to exist um, uh, at. Athene and Apollo, and and by extension, all of our funds uh, that isn't necessarily there at, at some of our um, some other participants in the market. Um, so each of our valuations goes through a rigorous process, which involves you know third parties, and then on top of that, um, you know we have our our own public auditors that that review that stuff. Uh, of course, a lot of this fa- finds its way onto the insurance company balance sheet. 
which has an extra le le level of scrutiny that's that's introduced by uh, you know by, by that regulated uh, industry. And so, uh, you know, our 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 valuation policy is really robust. We lean on third parties at you know every step of the way, and and um, it's just it's just critical for us to get that right for. You know, many reasons, you know, that that are unique to us. Um, uh, so it's it's an area of, of of huge of focus. Being a publicly listed company with such a large proportion of, I guess, the the earnings being derived from your investments alongside investors, you need to have that that level of transparency. I've got down a few notes here of obviously what I enjoyed and, and my key takeaways on the conversation. So I might read them out for the the benefit of our listeners, but. Polo is obviously one of the largest, most respected private equity or private markets managers in the world. I loved hearing about not just a growth or income investment philosophy, but that risk-adjusted focus, I think, is incredibly important, particularly when maybe we are entering more uncertain times. There's more challenges. A massive tick for me from the incredibly strong alignment to have roughly half of all assets under management from the firm's balance sheet. There's not very many, a few that I can name, you know, managers that would have that level of alignment. Having the scale, particularly in the, the private credit or private lending arm when you are lending predominantly and focusing more on that investment grade and above, having scale to obviously structure the right arrangements for those counterparties, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think from an investor standpoint, really the key point I'd want to drive home is Achieving diversification in, in liquid or listed markets now is becoming difficult. We saw it last year with obviously a sell-off both in stocks and bonds. Theoretically, bonds should be that defensive anchor and, and quite frankly, they weren't. But achieving diversification into alternative markets, I mean, up until really now has been incredibly difficult for non-institutional type clients. So I'm you know, really pleased that groups like Apollo are democratizing for that. A diversification outside of indexes that are increasingly concentrated and increasingly correlated. So Matt, hopefully we've given listeners something to think about, but really appreciate your time and love having the chat today. Yeah, this was fun. So I appreciate it and, and thank you for your time and, and uh, happy, to, happy to take part in this. 